Welcome to the Rouge Church Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we are so honored that you're listening in. We believe that faith should be a place of refuge and rest. So our community, we exist to help people follow Jesus so they can experience a life of rest in Him. Each week during our Sunday gatherings, small group gatherings, or even just our one-on-one discussions together, we talk about what it really looks like to follow Jesus in our time. And on this podcast, you'll find a collection of those very conversations. So we hope that this podcast is an encouragement to you. And wherever you might be in your faith journey with Jesus, we hope it inspires you towards your next step with him. Last week, we started a brand new series as we walk through uh, chapter by chapter the Gospel of Mark. And I'm really excited about this series because it's going to be an opportunity to look through um, the entire gospel of its entirety. This is one of the shorter gospels, so it's going to allow us to be able to do it in a shorter time frame. But it's going to allow us to walk through the entire life and teachings of Jesus together, uh, which is really, really exciting. And it's amazing that every time, and this isn't just the gospels that this does this with, but every time for me that I open up the text, I know so many other people have said this before too, that each time that they open up scripture and then begin to read, there's something new that they learn from it. And every time that they that they read something, no, no matter how many times that they read it, uh, there seems to be something new that God can teach them from that passage. So that's my, that's my prayer uh, for all of us as we read through the Gospel of Mark and we dive into this text and we, we look over and skim through chapter by chapter the life and teachings of Jesus. And I hope that this uh, is really beneficial for our, our, uh, our walk with Jesus as we walk through this together. Uh, go ahead and open with me to Mark 1, uh, verses 21 through 33. It's going to be our, our reading for today. Um, it's a part of this larger section that I would probably lump together. Uh, which would be verses 14, uh, chapter 1, verse 14, on through uh, chapter 2, verse 14. So it's a, it's a huge chunk, so we, we're not covering all of that today. What we're only covering today is um, verses 21 through 33 of chapter 1. So go ahead and, and open that up. Open your Bible app if you have Bible app on your phone. And just follow along with me as I read. They went into Capernaum referring to Jesus and his uh, disciples, those who had begun to follow him. You read in uh, the chapters right prior that he started to develop these followers, Andrew, Simon, uh, James, and John. All of these people were, were following him at this point. And it says, They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue, referring to Jesus, and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Just then there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. Throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed, so that they debated among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. 
Immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. It seems like we, we could stop there, but I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to go on to verse 33. And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, after they were done teaching, after Jesus has um, um, exercised this demon um, and it obeyed him and came out of this guy and he healed this guy. So immediately after they came from that synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. Let's pray before we dive into this. Father, we're thankful for... Um, this account about who Jesus was. And uh, we're just so amazed at what Jesus is doing in this passage, uh, and what he's capable of doing. Uh, we're thankful for what he's doing in our lives. And I pray that today you would expand our understanding of what Jesus is capable of doing. I pray that you would break down any preconceived notion, any preconceived thoughts about who Jesus is and what he's about and we would just come fresh with a new understanding that any over-familiarity with Jesus would just be cast to the side. And we would see this passage new and fresh. And we would find hope and restoration from this passage. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Like I said, as we, as we started mentioning last week, uh, Mark is writing this account of, of Jesus. And Mark is actually writing the account of Peter, ultimately, because Mark wouldn't have been there for, for the life of Jesus. He, he came along later down the road, and he became a co-worker of Peter's and worked alongside him in a lot of his ministry. He traveled sometime with Paul and Barnabas. Uh, there's actually a little bit of a tiff between him and Paul. You can read about it in Acts, um, and Paul was not happy with him, uh, but he ended up uh, going back and forth between Paul and Peter, and then I, th there was later a reconciliation that had happened. Uh, but Peter spent a lot of his time with, I mean, Mark spent a lot of his time with Peter, hearing the story of Peter and how he came to be a follower of Jesus, which is why last week we started not in Mark 1. We, we went back to Mark 1.1, 1, 1, uh, but we, we started actually in Mark 8, because this is the confession of Peter of Jesus asking Peter, who do you say that I am? And him responding uh, that he believed that he was the Christ, that he was the Son of God, that he was who was prophesied about and who they were expecting all along, and that this changes everything. But it doesn't start there. None of our journeys, and, and Peter's journey, didn't start with him already knowing who Jesus was, that there was this prior encounter with Jesus of coming to learn who Jesus was that made him believe he was who he says he was. And so as Mark is writing this account, he doesn't start with the confession of Peter. He starts with the experiences of Peter as Peter meets Jesus and leads up to this confession. And this is the pinnacle point of, of him realizing who Jesus was, 
And then once he realizes who Jesus was, what he did after all of this, leading up to the point of the cross and watching his, their, their Christ, their Messiah, die, watching him miraculously raised from the dead. And then, so there's all of these stories intertwined just in the midst of all of this um, that are around the life and the teachings of Jesus. And so right here we actually see the moment that Peter begins to follow Jesus. At this point, uh, Jesus isn't calling him by the name Peter yet. And there, there, there's a couple uh, different reasonings. People say that, uh, that people go by different names. For example, people were, were, were named by different names uh, several times. Uh, there are different accounts all throughout the Bible of examples of God renaming people. Um, and Jesus was no different. Jesus um, seemed to rename people. Uh, by names that made sense to them spiritually. And so this has been one um, example of this, that Simon was later called Peter, or in Greek, Petros, um, which means rock, or specifically pebble. And he says on this uh, foundation, he's, he's going to build his church. And so Peter, meaning pebble, he, that, that becomes his, his, his Greek name. And so there's, there's also another concept where there are people who don't believe that this is what Jesus was doing, that Simon just had two different names. Uh, in, this, in this time period, it was actually really, really common for an individual to have two, two names. They would have their Hebrew name, their Hebrew religious name that among their fellow Jews, this is what they would go by. Uh, but among the Greek speaking or the Roman world, they would have their, their, their Greek name that they would go by. And for Simon, his Greek name was Peter. And so a lot of us know him by Peter because uh, most of the Western church was introduced to um, Christianity through the Greek names, um, not through the original Hebrew names, um, even though that they were, they were found in, in this text here. So you see the, the transition of his name changed throughout uh, the story of Mark. And so right here um, in, in the passages prior to verse 21 that we read, in verse 16, you actually find um, Simon with his brother Andrew, and they're fishing, and, and, and Jesus calls them to follow him. And so they start following him. I'm not sure exactly what was going through their mind at the time. I know it was quite an honor for a rabbi to, to consider someone and tell them to follow him. So perhaps this is what was going through their mind. Perhaps they're wondering why. Why would this man ask us to follow him? But, but nonetheless, they begin to follow this guy, and they find themselves um, in another area a fishing village called Capernaum, which was a larger metropolis-type area um, that was at the center uh, between um, two different epicenters kind of of, of the, the ancient Roman world in the, near, in the Near East. And so there was a lot of travel that was going on in between this area, and they found themselves going to Capernaum. And immediately they went on the Sabbath to, into the synagogue. And this, this was actually where we find um, uh, Peter's mother-in-law, living, which we find in verse 29 through 33. So here's Jesus, so here's Peter or Simon introdu being introduced to Jesus for the first time and him and John and, and his brother Andrew and, and all of them going with Jesus to Capernaum and they sat down in the synagogue to listen to this man teach. Perhaps there was some other prior on the way that they, they had heard him teach um, according to another gospel. Um, Andrew had actually already been following Jesus first, and it was actually the one who went and got Simon. 
Um, Andrew was priorly um, a follower of Simon, uh, of John the Baptist, sorry, of John the Baptist, and um, he, he believed that he was the Messiah almost instantaneously, perhaps based on the testimony of John the Baptist. Um, and so he runs to his brother, Simon, and tells him who he is, who he believes him to be. And so they find themselves here in the synagogue. And so synagogues weren't exactly like the way we have church services today. Um, there, was, there wasn't really uh, this, this prepared um, structure of a, a, of a planned teacher that was, that was on staff there. There would have been a, 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 libra- a librarian of sorts, a person who would be the keeper of the scrolls that were present, uh, they would be the coordinator of that synagogue. Uh, but for the most part, the teaching role kind of was flexible and rotated between individuals in, in that synagogue. So it wouldn't have been weird that Jesus was kind of walking in. He wasn't just walking in and just kind of interrupting everybody and starting to teach. It was a, it was a time uh, during the scripture reading of the Torah where someone would begin to present or someone would sometimes begin to teach. And so Jesus was beginning to do that. And it says in verse 22 that they were amazed by Jesus' teachings. So much so that they said that it wasn't like anything that they had heard before from the scribes. That Jesus was one as if having authority. So right off the bat you find people seeing Jesus as something qualitatively different than the other religious leaders, the other scholars of the day. This word, this word exousia, or, or authority as it translates it here, um, means more than just, it, it doesn't mean like a position type authority. So it's not as if Jesus is coming in and usurping their authority per se. But Jesus is actually coming in and seems to have this power about him, this, this newness, this freshness, this, this um, impact from his teachings. But not just his teachings. Later on, you find in his calling out of spirits and, and, and later Simon bringing him to his mother-in-law and in, in, in healing his mother-in-law. There is this authority or this exousia that was about Jesus. Um, a commentary I was reading uh, this week actually says this. It's in uh, the Pillar New Testament commentary. It said this about the, the word exousia. It says, Mark's statement that Jesus taught as one who had authority, not as the teacher of the law, is less a disparaging statement of the scribes than an acclamation of Jesus. The word that Mark used is Jesus, of Jesus' authority, exousia, is a preeminent term in his presentation of Jesus. In the latter portion of the Septuagint and the inter- intertestamental literature, exousia is used more often than not of supernatural, listen to this, exousia was used more often than not in most of this time period's writings as in reference to supernatural powers and authorities, especially of God and God's works, representatives and emissaries as expressed through kings, priests, and saints. They saw God working through Jesus' teachings and they were astonished. 
they continue on to describe the, the, these uh, scribes. The scribes were um, usually lumped into the group with the Pharisees. Um, you see them kind of walking around together, but the difference is the, the Pharisees was actually a religious sect. They were like a denomination of Judaism in the first century, whereas a scribe was more of, a, of, of a, an office, a, and they weren't always Pharisees. Um, they weren't always of that religious sect. Um, but they were in this official position or office that had been around since the times of David. And originally it was just like the secretarial administrative position in charge of the scrolls and, and writing things down and whatnot. And uh, during different exiles, they were seen as kind of keepers of the Torah, uh, protectors of that, protectors of the knowledge of the faith. And, and then they, they build into this role by the time of Jesus where they are seen as the top-notch scholars, so much so um, that they're in reference as in the Sanhedrin, which is like the ruling council in ancient Jerusalem uh, that would determine Jewish law. They were so much so scholarly or so, much, so filled with knowledge of what uh, they believed the Torah to mean and, and some of the extra commentary around that, that they um, held this official position and they would even have, as, uh, as uh, the, the Gospels even point out, that, that these people, these scribes, had these special um, seats within the synagogue. So there, the chances are high that there would have been scribes right there listening in to what Jesus is saying. And then they point out this, that Jesus doesn't talk like they do. Jesus doesn't teach the same way that they do. They come together and they, they, they evaluate what the traditions of the elders was, what, what commentaries have said in the past, and don't point to their own authority, but they point to the authority of the Sanhedrin, or they point to the authority of the elders and the traditions. But then here, actually, so um, in, in the same commentary, the Pillar of New Testament commentary, it, it describes the scribes like this. It says, the scribes derive their authority from the tradition of the elders, the fathers of Judaism, we might say, whereas Jesus receives his authority directly from the Father in heaven. You actually see Jesus directly butting heads with certain traditions that they would place that actually hindered people from following God and being worshipers of God that weren't part of what God ever intended. So Jesus begins to actually butt heads with these individuals and confronts the scribes through his teaching. And people are amazed at who Jesus is and what he's saying and, and what his teachings actually mean for their life and their ability to get closer to God. And uh, they're not maybe nearly as bad off or maybe in some ways realizing that they're more bad off and need um, God more than they ever thought, but God was reaching out to them for them to come to him. And so they were amazed by Jesus' teachings. But this understanding wasn't of, of, of exousia, like, like this commentary says, wasn't just in terms of, um, of 
of uh, powerful teachings or, or over, over, over the, the, the teachings of Jesus. It was also in reference to the spiritual realm, which I, I believe is why that this is stacked where it talks about his teachings here and then later on you find it saying, what is this new teaching? That he's able to cast out these, these unclean spirits in the way that he's doing. What, what is this that he's doing? What, what power, what, what authority is, is within this guy? Who is this guy? And where, where, is, he, where is he able to, to accomplish these things from? What kind of man is this? And then even later on, expressing his authority and power over the natural by healing Simon's mother-in-law. The commentary that I've been reading um, also points out this in support of what I was just saying, that Mark's use of this defining term at the outset of Jesus' public ministry establishes his authority over the highest authorities in both the temporal realm, temporal realm, as represented by the scribes, and the supernatural authorities as represented by the demon. And I would add in, and by the physical authorities as represented by the ailments and the illnesses of Simon Peter's mother-in-law. What this passage and what I believe Mark is trying to lay the foundation of for us is that Peter was deeply captivated by Jesus's authority and that the spiritual power and authority of Jesus is not only astonishing, but it confronts the everyday realities we find ourselves facing. When we don't know um, a certain teaching, if we, when we don't know or understand certain things, when we don't know what to do with our lives, we find certainty in the fact that uh, we can stand firm in the power of the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus' teachings aren't nearly as challenging seemingly as what the scribes are saying. Yeah, they're, they're just as challenging to implement, but they're, they're not as challenging and far-reaching for us to understand, heaping all of these burdens over us. And this is who he started to see Peter, I mean, who Peter started to see Jesus to be as he began to teach in a synagogue. They were already amazed by this point. And then all of a sudden, there's this man, verse 23, who walks into the synagogue as they're all already bewildered and amazed at who Jesus was. And this unclean spirit within this man I don't know if the unclean spirit was intentionally walking in or if it was kind of underneath inside of this man and just kind of came out when he came near Jesus. I don't know the exact scenario here. But what we do know is that this man has an unclean spirit, demonic suppression of some sort, and begins to cry out, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? He knew his name. Have you come to destroy us. The unclean spirit knows what Jesus is capable of and seems to be terrified of him, knowing exactly who he is and what he has the power and the authority to do. And Jesus 
then responds and rebukes the demon and says for him to be quiet and to come out of the man, to stop suppressing him and to stop hurting him and stop causing problems for people. And then with a loud voice and a screech, the unclean spirit comes out of the man. And they find themselves amazed. What is this new teaching? A new teaching with exousia, with, with authority. Again, this man is able to do things like we've never seen before. So I imagine in their mind, they thought to themselves, what else is this man capable of doing? If he has this spiritual power and authority to confront these things, to confront the scribes and the teachings of our day, and to profoundly give us input on, on, on what the scriptures mean as if he's speaking on behalf of God himself, but also confront the practicalities of, of every single day life, of even spiritual struggles that we face. And it says in verse 28, immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding districts of Galilee. And so Peter, Simon Peter here, verse 29 through 33, I imagine he had in his mind what, what else is he capable of? Well, if he's capable of doing this, I know, I know he can help my mother with her fever. And a fever during this time period would have been a lot more serious than it is today. We don't realize how much modern medicine, even the, the, the most simple of modern medicine, can actually completely change our lives. But this would have been a very serious potential illness, ailment that, that she was facing. And so Jesus goes in as if it's nothing. And it says right here, verse 31, And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left. And then it says this, When evening came after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill, and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city had gathered at the door. Finally, there was someone who had the authority, had the power to fix our problems, to, to be our Savior, to, to set things right, to help us gain clarity on what God means in the Torah. And they marveled at who he was, and his followership grew and grew and grew. And so for us, I believe that the application is exactly the same revelation that these people experience and the same one that, Pe that Peter understood. That the spiritual power and authority of Jesus is not only astonishing, but it confronts the everyday realities we find ourselves facing. What, what realities do we find ourselves facing? 
Perhaps we've, we've not given ourselves over to the teachings of Jesus. What, one of the things that Jesus points out of what his teachings are, they, he calls them a firm foundation, saying that if you were, built, if you were to build your, he gives this illustration, if you, if you, if his teachings are like this, that if you were to build a house on sand, it would wash away when rain comes. But if you were to build your house on the firm foundation of Jesus' teachings, that when rough times come, when challenges come, you would be able to stand strong. This is why it is so important to spend time investing in God's Word, reading God's Word on a regular basis, coming um, to a community um, or listening to um, uh, messages on Scripture and, and really um, getting the Word into our lives to know what the Word of God has to say. Because if we understand the teachings of Jesus and all that God says in His Word, that when we face adversity, when we face challenges, it will help us in our time of need. It will come to our minds and come to the forefront of our mind when we have that need. Perhaps we have some challenges spiritually that we're facing. Perhaps it's obviously probably not um, demonic possession, not what I'm saying. But this still points out the same fact that Jesus has authority over the spiritual realm. And so many of our, our challenges we face are far more spiritual than what we might think. You better bet. Now, you might be thinking in your head, well, I don't have any of these spiritual challenges. You better bet that the enemy is out to get us. Peter describes it as a roaring lion ready to pounce. That he is coming after us. Maybe in ways that we never really think that it would be. Not in this, like the scary movies, but sometimes it's more so just in the thoughts that we think. How many times has your insecurities overwhelmed you so much that it's kept you from doing things that God has called you to do? How many times has pride gotten in the way from you actually being able to have good relationships? How many times has jealousy poisoned your mind and kept you from being able to actually enjoy your life? These are thoughts that come into our mind that are deeply of the enemy. That if we allow them to take over our minds, minds and we don't take them captive and make them submission to this word that God has given us and put them on the firm foundations of, of the teachings of God, But if we, if, we, if we do do this, it will change everything. It will change the realities of everything that confronts us. The next time that when you, you face that person that you're deeply jealous over, you can bring that, that, that verse to mind of, of how God has provided everything that you need and that you're content with what God has provided you. Because that's ultimately what jealousy is. You're just you're lacking contentment in what God has given you. We fail to realize that 
that God has provided every one of our needs that we actually need in this current moment. Do we have verses for pride? Do we have verses for our, our insecurities and, and our confidence in our identities in Christ? Jesus has authority over the spiritual realm. So when we are in Christ, we have the ability to walk in that same confidence and in that same authority so that we're not up and under this same type of suppression. And then the same thing with infirmity and sickness, disease. We are, as Christians, called to pray against these things. And I know not every single time someone is healed. I'm not, I'm not from a charismatic background. Jesus wasn't either. Jesus was from a Jewish background. So we don't have to worry about that. But what I do know and what Scripture is very clear on is that God is not dead. And that He is still at work today. And He wants to answer our prayers. And He wants to take care of our needs. And that According to this, he has the authority to make the change. So we should ask. We should submit those requests to God and ask him to change it, to change the scenarios. The reality that that Jesus has the spiritual authority and power changes everything that we are confronted with on a daily basis. The teachings that people send our way of we're we're conflicted on whether or not we believe these certain ideas or ideologies that that are coming at us from the news, certain teachings and ideologies coming at us even from the workplace and and lessons and things that we're learning that might actually be uh, contradictory to our own values and the values and the teachings that Christ has given us. Which teachings are you finding yourself being laying your foundation on more? And perhaps we're, we're actually laying this foundation where we're trying to balance the two. And when we're at work, we're laying the foundation on those things. And when we're at home, we lay our foundations on Christ. And, but Christ wants our whole life. And he wants us to walk in the same spiritual power and authority um, that, that Peter discovered, that Mark discovered, that all these people were amazed by. And he wants us to be able to walk in that on a daily basis, every single moment of our day. There is power in Jesus. And we have access to him through prayer, through reading scripture, and confiding in that and our identity in Christ. As we close, let me pray for us. Father, I'm thankful for the access we have to you uh, to lift up our prayer requests. And I pray that if we are facing anything in this moment um, that we feel like we don't have the authority over, that we don't have the control over, that we're not capable of getting through God, that we would look towards you and realize, God, that you do have authority, that you do have the power and the capability to change things, to make a difference, um, and that we would, we would trust in you in that, and we would pray to you asking you to make a change in our relationships, for you to make a change in our finances, for you to, to um, 
to help change the realities that we're facing and confront those odds. And if there's anything within us that needs to repent and turn um, towards your will, and that's the thing that's actually hindering us, God, help us do so. Help us surrender our lives fully to you, uh, both our will, but also um, the challenges that we face, that we would not face them as if we're defeated, but we would face them victoriously in you. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Our community aims to be a life-giving church that helps you find refuge and rest through following Jesus. Thank you so much for your support. If you're looking to connect with us, you can find us online at rouge.church or on any social media platform at rougechurchmi. Or you can just shoot us an email at connect at rouge.church.